The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Fall season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. State 60 sticks. Chuck Oliver Show. We talk college football, do it every day, half for a decade now. Thank you all so much. No matter what, and then you point at the quarterback. This is an offensive line coach. This is a quarterback's coach. This is an OC. This is the head coach with a bullhorn. No matter what, and then you point at the quarterback, he doesn't get hit. In Knoxville, I, maybe. Maybe that actually happens. Nico is just a wonderful, just graceful runner. And they may have one of the best offensive lines in America. I'm assuming Cooper Mays will be healthy. He wasn't in Gainesville. And I think they – how often do you say this? I think Tennessee lost a game because an offensive lineman got hurt. Um, He's healthy, and they broke off uh, a couple of kids in the portal. And so protecting Nico was job one, and it certainly appears that way. They got other kids to talk about as well. But we're going to start with Nico and the O-line. want to welcome on a good friend of ours, Knoxville News Sentinel, Vols beat writer. It's Adam Sparks. Adam, what's up, buddy? Hey, how we doing? This this is I would say this is not a typical offseason because I'm – covering federal court cases and NCAA investigation. But that was like that was last offseason also and the one before that, <laughs> at least in terms of the NCAA probe. So uh, same old, same old here in Knoxville. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's talk Nico. Let's talk fun stuff on field. I, I told folks that I watched the bowl game. Literally, I just want to see Nico because he had taken a handful of snaps hither and there during the season. During the bowl game, that kid was just – he. you watch him glide around the field just making plays. Um Tell me how real that is. Tell me how unexpected that was. Like the coaching staff I'd heard during the season, oh, they love him and maybe he should play ahead of Milton. I don't know about that, and I don't care. Tell me what you think about the coaching staff and what they see in Nico. Yeah, what they had uh, what they had seen late in the season in practice is what you saw in, in that game in the Citrus Bowl. I, I think really my biggest takeaway – was not his talent and sort of his wow plays. I mean, he threw for a touchdown. He ran for three touchdowns in that game. Uh, all, all that was fine and good. He's a five-star talent, so you expect some, you know, some eye-popping plays if you're a five-star talent. What struck me more than anything was just sort of his poise, like his his moxie. Like it, it did not appear at all that he was ever rattled. He seemed completely comfortable. Uh, he ran the offense just fine. When the pressure would come, he was—I wouldn't even say nonchalant, but he just looked like like it looked like he'd played 30 college games. And instead, that was that was his first full game. And so I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. And that's the difference for Tennessee side. You would hope that's the difference between a five-star talent and an All SEC quarterback. Because sometimes you can get five-star talents; they don't turn into great college players. But that was an indication that maybe he's the latter rather than the prior. 
Let's talk offensive line. And you can start with Mays. You can start with the big giant kid they brought in from Baton Rouge. Uh, tell me what you think is possible for this group. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things. If you look at the like the strategies around the country, like where are you spending your NIL dollars? Uh, you know, are you going to go get skill guys? Are you going offense? Are you going defense? Are you get the quarterback. Uh, Tennessee went the route of retaining players. Like if you think of teams in the NFL that have a good unit together, and instead of going out into free agency and getting new players, instead they just give everybody a uh, like a one year extension and they they pay them a little more. That's more of what Tennessee did on its really on its offensive and defensive lines. But like on the O line, they know as you mentioned, like their best investment right now is Nico at quarterback. So. They gave an NIL bump, we can presume, to Cooper Mays, their all-SC center. Uh, so he's coming back instead of going to the NFL. Javante Spragans is the right guard. He's going to come back for another year. He, he, he would have gotten drafted had he come out. John Campbell, who was their left tackle, yep. he's probably going to be the right tackle this year. He's Miami transfer a year ago. He, we thought he would go into the NFL and said he's going to come back, so he got an NIL bump. And uh, Lance Hurd, you mentioned, that was the – former five-star from LSU, they pay big money, we can presume, to get him. And he's probably going to jump over to left tackle, move uh, Campbell to right. So so they're paying to keep guys, and then they pay to get a guy. And that's really just to maximize the talent that they, that they have with Nico. Nico will be um, technically a redshirt freshman next season. But you got to figure if he's if he's as good as you hope he is, he's got two more seasons left until he jumps to the NFL. So you've got a window of two years now, starting now, uh, to try to get to the playoff with him. And so you need an offensive line to do that. And all, those units really, really turn over a year from now. So this this may be the bigger this season may be the bigger opportunity than even next season. Dylan Sampson going to be a stud? Because I would see him, like, just, I mean, individual plays last year, and I'm like, that's it. That's the kid. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the big question with him is, is he is he a guy that's going to break off a couple long runs and, you know, give you big numbers in smaller portions, or is he a guy that's going to get, you know, 20 carries? They had a, you know, three-headed monster at, at running back yeah. last year. They used two guys two years ago. It's probably going to be two guys this year with Sampson as the lead. Um, he, you know, on one hand, you say he's, he didn't have the size to be a 20-carry guy every game. But then on the other hand, when he got the ball in the Kentucky game, he got the ball like 11, 12 times in the fourth quarter and carried them to a victory. And so he has that within him. But I think they would like him more to be a guy that can give you, you know, 100 yards on 15 carries or a guy that can catch a couple of balls, one for a touchdown, and and maybe try to split up the carries with Kim Selden, who was a freshman this past year. The, the two guys you saw in the Citrus Bowl, Sampson and Selden, that will be their two running backs uh, this next season. And that's the good thing about the bowls now. You can see a freshman quarterback and a young running back starting and then a freshman running back and all those pieces together and say, this is not the, the team that just finished this season. This is the team for next season. That's sort of what the Citrus Bowl was. It was a preview of next season. Brew McCoy, um, I don't know him. I have been told by folks in Knoxville that he has looked at this rehab like a personal affront, um, that he has really gotten after it. I don't care if his motivation is get paid, whatever. Um, what are you expecting from him this year? Because so far it's early. But apparently his rehab is going as about as well as could be expected. 
Yeah, it's going really well. I mean, sometimes he'll tweet out, uh, you know, videos of him sprinting on a on a uh, on a treadmill. And on one hand, Tennessee fans are like, "That looks great." On the other hand, they're like, "Slow it down. It's still a long, a long time until the season. Like, save that for September." Um, but yeah, he—I mean, he's another guy that could have gone into the draft. Instead, he says, "I'm going to give it one more shot." And some of that is because of Nico coming back, uh, or Nico being the starting quarterback next year. So he knows it's not going to be rebuilding a quarterback. He's going to have a five-star talent thrown to him. And you know, this this team is sort of built that if things go right, they're a playoff team. If things go wrong, they're you know eight and four or whatever. If things go right, they're a 10-win playoff team, and Broom Coy is one of those big pieces because they underwhelmed at wide receiver last last, last season, and that really started with when Broom McCoy suffered a season-ending injury. If he's back in 100%, you've got a better chance of this receiving core looking closer to what it did two years ago when it was the best receiving core in the nation, more so than it was this past season. Yeah, I always tell people, I was like, until he is on a field wearing pads, I was like, that's yeah. when it's real. But I was like, it's a good indicator. It absolutely is. Continuing just another minute or two, Knoxville News Sentinels, where you're going to find Adam Sparks, Vols, beat reporter. Um, James Pierce, he wasn't even really, like, technically, he didn't even start last year, right? Um, tell me what's ahead for that kid. Yeah, technically he didn't. He was the guy that was in on the third play of the game. Wow. Uh, he, yeah, I mean... So he is – people ask me, like, uh, when people refer to Nico as Tennessee's best player, I immediately stop them and say, no, 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 it's James Pierce. James Pierce is the best player at Tennessee. Uh, he's a he's a first-round talent. He he may be the best pass rusher in the SEC, which means he's one of the best pass rushers in the country. Uh, you know, if you looked at the, the Citrus Bowl, he forced a fumble that immediately turned into a touchdown. He had a pick six where, he dro- where he's a defensive end but dropping into coverage. He's one of those typical, like, three, four outside linebackers, those guys that can rush the passer, but especially on the NFL level, they can drop into coverage, just super athletic guy. Um, You know, he's he's the best news for Tennessee right now. Nico is a close second, but James Pierce is the type of guy that could put them over the top next year. And he went two years ago. He was a freshman that played a little bit, but – you knew the ability was there, but it just didn't show up on Saturdays. This past season, it showed up on Saturdays, and especially late in the season. And if they can get those kind of performances out of him next year consistently, uh, then you have a chance for this team to be both really good and balanced. Really, really good on offense, but also balanced enough to be good on defense. And if they can, you know, if you've got an, all, uh, an SEC player of the year caliber player on offense and defense, you got something, and they at least have that potential. And tell me if you can confirm, deny, or just don't know, but I think I've seen him Pierce, like, he gets his jolly splattering some dude on the field. Like, he really enjoys the physical part. Yeah, he does. He does. And you look at him and you think, that, that guy's got a – you don't think he's, like, that powerful of a guy. And then you see him sort of sort of Reggie White bull rush somebody where he'll just take a forearm and throw an offensive tack on you. Like, where, did, where did that come from? Because uh, he's a taller, thinner yeah. guy, but he's just got a lot, a lot of strength in that body. Hey, man, I always appreciate the expertise, Adam. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll catch up with you soon, friend. All right, guys. Y'all have a good one. Knoxville News Sentinels, where you're finding Vols beat writer Adam Sparks. He's uh, been joining us. He was on the Vanderbilt beat for a minute, and now he's covering Tennessee. Yeah, James Pierce was that guy that 
you would look at the starting lineup, and I mean, I had my two deep. I've told you, whenever I look watch a game, if I'm doing a game, I need a two deep. That's about it. I can recall what I need to recall. I just don't know what hometown the linebacker's from. And I oh, he's from Gastonia. So give me a two deep. And I kept looking down. I was like, where is this Scott Beasley? No, not Beasley. What? To, oh, Pierce. Um, he's as good a pass rusher as there is in the SEC. And was that the case last year? At times it was. Adam said something there about what the the future. Adam said something about the type of player that we will see because he's going to be he's full time this year. Man, let's cut him loose. The type of player he is that what we'll see the versatility he said didn't perfect edge guy in a three four. And he started going through some of the attributes and what we've seen him do. You know who that sounds like? That's Dallas Turner. That's Dallas Turner. That's Dallas Turner. That's Dallas Turner. And then the, I'm angry at you just because you exist. Like, he's looking across at number seven or number you know 15, and he was like, I don't like you at all. Um, that's the one thing. You either have it or you don't. The one thing. Every stance, footwork, hand placement, leverage. I can teach you everything. If you don't dig the physical part, that literally is the one part about football that no coach can ever coach. I can't teach you that. Everything else, all right, let's do this. And then you'll be Steve Spurrier, and you're telling the receiver, no, 11 yards is not 12. You break it off at 11 yards, the ball's going to be behind you. Um. And he's right, by the way. But for rushing the quarterback, <laughs> sick him. Um, I can everything else. It's it's all you can have columns where you say your you know your first step was this. Now it's improved. That your your leverage was this, and now it's improved. Strength training or film work or whatever. Physical aggression and enjoying hitting the quarterback. You have it or you don't. You don't remember Arden Key? I saw Arden Key one night against Mississippi State. He was a freshman. He treated the Mississippi State quarterback like a pinata. I thought Candy was going to start flying out of Damian Williams. And I was like, all right, that kid gets it. Within the confines, but that kid gets it. It's rare, folks. It, Jadavion Clowney, I was like, he gets it. Derek Barnett, I was like, yep. A guy who enjoys it. And can do it. So he's just a special, special kid, man. I like watching him play. We break. We continue on this Monday next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. It's Monday on the Chuck Oliver Show. We're talking college football. We don't talk NFL, but not really. I do have to mention, I can always stretch it by saying, oh, draft, and, uh, and uh, it's stretching it with this one. Y'all see, Peter King has announced his retirement. He's been, he's been covering the NFL for 44 years. 
44 folks. Like he started right after the Bucks and Seahawks started. Like that's we're you know, um, and so he has, and most of it was Sports Illustrated. And a lot of us knew him there. NBC, he started there, dang near what fifteen years ago or so. And so it's just it's that's a not an insignificant thing at the latest. So Zoltar, Magic Eight Ball. Pretty much all of us, we already know the outcome for Del McGee. The former Georgia running backs coach who has been, thats I, I thought this was the understanding, apparently it was, that he's been pretty clear. Yeah, I'd like to be an OC somewhere because I would like to be a head coach then. Well, after eight years in Athens and a lot of success as a college coach, he is now a head coach. I think what I was told is he realized he was not going to be hired to be an OC. So he had to kind of skip the line. Well, to skip the line, you got to take a hit on the quality of the program. He's the head coach at Georgia state. Pretty much all of us know how this turns out for Del McGee, but one part gets left out. Now the part that we all know, Del McGee, he is likely to not win enough games and he is likely to get fired by Georgia state. And there are 10 reasons why. But that's where we stop. All of us. Dell's going to lose a bunch. That and period. All right, next topic. A giant variable in professional risk is what is my ability to get back what I'm risking? Heath had brought this up last week. We had talked about it. And as the reactions came in, it all centered on what wasn't going to happen. Now, I got to tell you, Bear Bryant, back from the grave, I, like, I don't know who's winning at Georgia State right now. I really don't. They've got a nice palace that used to be an Olympic stadium and then a major league stadium. And now it's a really, really nice, mostly ignored football stadium. And they had Army and North Carolina. And I think, I think they had three, like, power five opponents come in last year. And there was just – there's nothing going on down there. And it's tough to win. And you're a feeder school now for power five because the name – it's all this stuff. Dell's going to lose a bunch. And he is. Dell goes – let's say Dell goes 9-26. and 26. And it's the end of season three. He gets fired. He was running backs coach at a giant SEC program. Anything shy of Dell walking around campus with no pants on, he can be running backs coach at a giant SEC program or any other program in America the minute he decides to be employed again. Doing his job just got way harder. And he is confronted now with winning despite concrete living daily challenges that never got within 10 support staff members of him in Athens. Like, and it's on him directly. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like whoever the coffee service is for the athletic department. Hey, uh, this bill hadn't be paid. Somebody, the coffee service guy is going to knock on Del McGee's door saying, look, I got to get a check. He is likely to not win and then get fired. And then Dale can jump back into the life he dice rolled with zero delay or cosmos-based, quote, punishment. And that's what we all talk about. We know, oh, 
I don't know if I'd have taken that job. He can go right back to his previous life when he just snaps a finger. And there it is. Hey, how's the Monday, brother? Uh, you know, there's something that got my attention here, Chuck, and I'm not sure. There's some names that people know, and there's other names that you don't. But that doesn't mean just because you don't know the name that the guy doesn't matter. I don't know how much this matters. But I think what it does say is just how dug in Ohio State is on the idea that this year must be different. This year, whatever it is, you name it, we're going to spend the money, we're going to add the staffer, we're going to do whatever we've got to do to win. We cannot lose to Michigan again. And furthermore, we need to be in a minimum plane for the national title. We have to be. It must happen. Sam Petito, that a name you know at all, Chuck? Uh, is that the commissioner's brother? Uh, it is not, although I could see where you would think about that. Uh, Sam Petito, it turns out, has been a part of the machine over at Alabama the last few years. He is originally from Louisiana and had been considered the uh, director of personnel operations under Nick Saban for the last eight years. What does that mean? Heck if I know. But what I do know is that Ohio State just hired him because they've still got their guy, their athletic director for player personnel, Mark Pantone. He's their GM. He's been Urban Meyer's guy for years and then stayed on as the the right-hand man there for day. But they went out and created a position to go hire Petito, who'd been with Alabama for the last eight years in, in what at least sounds like a somewhat similar role to say, come on up here, man. Tell us, tell us all the secrets, all how the sausage was made down in Tuscaloosa. We need to know. We need to be able to do that. Whatever that one thing is we're not doing, they hired we a need deal the maker. They hired a, They hired a fixer. Like they hired a, a guy with the secret sauce. Like he's got the Coke formula, right? Yeah, it says that you know, he became a monster in acquiring high school talent under Saban. It, Petito might be amazing, Chuck. He might be the best in, it, best in the business. I have no idea. I just know this. Ohio State right now. If there's a chance he helps, throw some money at it. And we've seen that program be committed for years. We've never seen it financially committed like they are right now. Oh, no. They're finding out who has the best uh, paint on the field. All right, well, go get the field crew from Arizona State. Who has the best pregame meal? Go get the chef from Texas Tech. Like, you are 100% right on. All right, we break. Come back. More of the Chuck Oliver Show next. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car-buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. 
And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hey, it's a Monday on the Chuck Oliver Show. And I mentioned before, I have three older sisters, so I was never in charge of the music. And so a lot of, like, Osmond Brothers and things like that. Uh, David Cassidy was a massive, massive, massive star. He had about a five-year run, maybe the biggest star around. And I mentioned one time that he was living in whatever town in Florida. Um, and that the locals, he's just a local. Well, somebody in Atlanta was listening and emailed me and said, no, David spends most of the day drinking at the bar and he's just David. Now this was all public and it came out later. So I'm not, you know, bad mouthing anybody, but there's people that we look at and go superstar, superstar, superstar. And the people who are around him are like, no, that's just kind of David. Um, I hope it never becomes that Johnny Manziel eh, is just Johnny. Like for people at Texas A&M, you're always supposed to have like Vince Young at some point, people in Austin are like, no, nah, it's just Vince. Um, you're supposed to have some sort of reverence and at least one place you can always go. And Johnny's saying, uh, cocaine and $3 million. <laughs> like that's what I was about. We're going to talk on field, but we got to start with Johnny Manziel. I hate it. Want to welcome on right now. Good friend of mine, uh, covers Texas A&M for rivals.com. It's Mark Passwaters. Mark, how's your Monday? Uh, it's a Monday, Chuck. Nothing new or exciting so far, but, you know, it's still before noon. Um, I have this idea, like, I'm an Auburn grad, and whenever I see Cam, you know, like, involved in a fist fight at a youth football tournament like he was over the weekend, I'm like, Cam, stop. Um, like, you always are supposed to have that one place you can go home no matter what. Um, tell me about the A&M fan base and Johnny Manziel. Is he still their BFF, our number one guy, or is he, like, worn out as welcome at all? Well, I think for some people, they, he's worn out as welcome, but for the vast majority, he's he's still their guy. And I think that uh, the comments that he made with, uh, on Shannon Sharp's podcast uh, last week aren't going to hurt him. I mean, he showed some semblance of uh, responsibility and accountability. And, you know, having dealt, dealt with depression and anxiety issues myself, not to the extent that he has, you know, I, I kind of get it. So, I'm glad that he's getting the help that he needs. And, uh, you know, I hope that he can find something close to the straight and narrow and continue to uh, improve his life. Amen to that. And I mentioned Vince. And, again, I don't like beating up on people, so I'm not meaning to do that. But I had heard that he kind of got fired from, like, the very last job is when the alma mater brings you back and they kind of hire you to be Vince Young, just walk around on Saturday and be Vince Young, and that he might have lost that job as well. Did it? Like, what's the current view towards Vince? Uh, you know, honestly, I do think that he kind of wore out his welcome with the University of Texas. Now, okay. the, they'll love him, but the team, the program itself, you know, he'll be on the sidelines and, you know, they'll they'll bring him out and he can wave and all that. But, you know, he, he had some issues and they just kept on popping yeah. up and I, they kind of moved away from him. 
Yeah, you know what? The 15th and 30th, it's nice to be loved at home. It really is. It can be. Um, all right, so let's talk on-field and current day and what can maybe be one of the most positive and big surprises in the conference. Tell me about Colin Klein and Connor Wegman and how they fit together. Well, that's going to be one of the real interesting stories of the spring because I think there are a lot of opportunities there. Um, you know, Wegman has talked a lot about how he's already built a rapport with Klein. The, the first day that he was in the office, Wigman was there. And, uh, you know, they've done a lot of talking about the things that they can do out of his offense. And, uh, you know, when you can sit, go into the same set and run nine different plays, that seems to, uh, you know, be something that a quarterback would be excited about. So, uh, you know, I'm really interested in watching how these, this goes this spring because there are a lot of things that Klein can do that really work well with the assets that A&M has offensively. All right. I travel around different campuses, and like even my own, I'm like, the past 10, 12, 15 years, I'm like, boy, the recession never hit Auburn. Look at all the construction. I go to Oxford, Athens, Gainesville. I'm like, boy, the recession never came here. I saw a figure that over the last 10 years, A&M, has spent almost a billion dollars in either facilities or renovations. Um, tell me A&M as you remember when they're toeing the line to enter the SEC and where they are right now, like day-to-day facilities, et cetera. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's night and day. Um, when they first went in, the Bright Building, where, which is the, the primary facility for the program, was decent. Um, but then... In 2013, they really got into the big renovation, uh, which uh, redid Kyle Field. And, I mean, that was totally a a massive change. Uh, Then they they redid the Bright Building, and they got done with that, and then they redid the Bright Building again. And then a couple of years after that, they did it a third time, and now they they got rid of the, the practice bubble that they had, and now it's a massive indoor facility. Uh, and they're building an education annex and all this, uh, you know, it's totally different in just a period of 12 years. Biggest question beyond Colin Klein and the quarterback and how they mesh. Biggest question beyond that that we can answer during spring. Uh, You know, that's a great question. I think that in my mind, it'll be who's got a real shot at starting at corner because they brought in a lot of guys to kind of, you know, get a new look there. But Tyreek Chappelle came back after going in the portal. He ended up deciding to stay. So they got, at least on paper, five or six guys who could really go out there and play. Uh, You know, Will Lee from K-State, Des Ricks from Alabama is a guy that I've been hearing good things about. Uh, you Bring in a kid, Donovan Saunders from Cal Poly, who's six three. He only made seventeen tackles last year because nobody threw at it, and he still ended up being All Conference because he picked all three of the passes that were thrown at it. Uh, you get BJ Mays from UAB, who was really good there. Uh, you know, I think there could be a real step up at cornerback from where they were last year, and that was a big problem for him. But I just want to see how that competition starts to play out. Um, did I see right? Terry Bussey, who's an athlete, and boy, is that an accurate description. Uh, is it going to be corner to start with, cornerback? Yeah, he's going to be part of that mix, too. 
but he's not going to be there in the spring. He's going to finish up. As, yeah. uh, uh, but, yeah, he's supposed to be in that, too. But I think he's one of those guys. I don't think he'll be like, uh, you know, Hunter out at, at Colorado where he's played every single down of yeah. defense and every single down of offense. But I think he's a guy that you could see get some they'll, – they'll probably have a package of plays for him offensively. And I could see him also returning kicks. So they're going to find a way to get him on the field. The competition level at corner should be very high. But if this guy's as advertised, you know, I wouldn't put anything past him. All right. Uh, let's go up top. Let's go Ivory Tower. Who's going to be the AD? RC's doing it right now. And you got to have somebody step up for the program. And so that's what he's doing there. Barry Alvarez, whoever, you got to step up. Um, and so who's going to do that at A&M? Who's going to be the next uh, uh, athletic director? Well, you know, they're keeping it real quiet right now. But the guy that I have always thought had the best chance at it is uh, Travis Blanky, who uh, runs the 12th Man Foundation. Uh, that that name popped up before Bjork was gone. Uh, you know, he was. This was even before the the Mark Stoops fiasco. This is a guy that I had heard was a likely possibility for, to take that job. And as time goes on and nothing gets said, I think that that possibility increases uh, with each day. James Coley um, doesn't have anything to do with A&M, but just comment on the environment now that you can have, like South Carolina has comings and goings, and Kirby's just trying to complete his staff and taking guys off teams that have already started spring practice, et cetera. Just give me your commentary on trying to build and retain a coaching staff, um, like literally even once we get into February and March. Uh, I think that he's, it gets more difficult every year. I mean, shoot, uh, head coaches aren't even safe at this point. When you've got guys looking at going to the NFL for coordinator positions, uh, like that happened at Boston College, uh, you know, it's absolutely college coaching is such a mercenary business. And if you get an opportunity to go somewhere because they're paying you better money or they they're having better opportunities, you know, these guys are probably going to jump at the first chance they get. Coley has ties to Georgia. He was there before he came to A&M. Uh, you know, it, it sucks for South Carolina because you're in a position now where you've got to fill your spot. But this is just the mercenary nature of the business. And the, the way things are designed now, I don't think the musical chairs ever really stop. Did Wesley McGriff ever actually sign the, like take the job at Texas A&M? Uh, we had him <laughs> on our list. We had him, uh, you know, at least for 10 days or so. But, I mean, it, it's not the first time you, we've heard that. I mean, Terry Price had a job in, in Lubbock for about three weeks uh, before Kevin Sumlin called him. Uh, you know, so th- this goes back way before you and I got started on it. But I think that the amount of attention getting paid to it and the number of instances having it happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or it has increased exponentially. And I, I think that the, the, the brutal nature of being a college coach right now is probably at another level. Uh, well, I got to agree with you, Marco. I had this policy I had for years, and I kind of laughed at it with McGriff. I was like, I always have a policy, whether it's recruiting or a coaching change, until I hear it from the school or the guy. 
it's not official. And I went on the air. I was like, I'm pretty sure I heard Wesley McGriff's name from Texas A&M. I was like, so even my rule isn't a rule anymore when it comes to coaching staff. So, um, just weird, man. Mark, I appreciate the insight as always. Uh, just great stuff. Thank you. You bet, Chuck. Take care. Mark Passwaters covers A&M for rivals. So, yeah, I was like, no, I'm pretty sure. I went back and I was like, where'd that tweet go? They they announced it. And uh, Aggie Nation, we're yell for Wesley McGriff. I was like, yeah, they announced it. And then he's like, no, nah, I'm going back. So I don't know. I, well, no, I do. The ink was never, uh, ink and paper never met. But it was announced. And I was like, all right, well, let's talk about it. Then it's like a week and a half later. This isn't, And there are times when it actually is a thing. I could never find anything super, super official about it, but there was an announcement. Don't know who Bobby Crimmins is? He was one of the first that I experienced this with. He had a lot of run. He played basketball at South Carolina back in the early 70s, I guess. He was on a just a heartbreak team that was in the ACC, and each conference only got one rep. South Carolina was like 27-1 and one or something. And so they don't get to go to the tournament. They, like, they don't get to go to the tournament at all So because they lost. Didn't win the ACC. Sorry. Well, he's a head coach at like App State and then has a run at Georgia Tech in Final Four and just I mean, it's the it's the end of the rainbow at Georgia Tech. And he gets hired by his alma mater and it might have been two days and he was like, Yeah, I'm going back. Now, we have seen that happen before. And that is a heartstring sort of thing. And that is an alarm. I'm caught between where I am and my family and then where I went and being able to bring. The, so I get all the emotion involved, but that was, and we've seen other examples of, of guys taking jobs uh, rarely and then staying for a minute. I took the job at temple, but I was only there for a couple of weeks. Why? Well, I got hired away by a better job. So we've seen that before. We don't see it off to where a guy leaves and then goes back from whence he came. Um, now, folks, everything's on the table. And so Wesley McGriff, I saw it announced. And so I talked about it for about a week and a half, and I kept checking back. I'm going, I'm looking for more here. And we talked about it in that interim. And then one day I'm like, Auburn's like, oh, yeah, this Wesley's over. I was like, Wesley? You can't just Wesley me after it does. I was like, what do you mean just Wesley? Oh, yeah, Wesley's uh, – he's – running the cornerbacks huh what yeah wesley he's back wesley mcgriff so i don't know when we got to this point that it is such fluid is not even it it's interchangeable it's almost like picking teams that have to it's like all right i want him and him and all right this will be my staff this week (laughs) this week Hugh freeze i'm not kidding this week he this this week he he could have a completed staff for the entire week. And it would be two in a row. So maybe he needs one of those signs like at a construction site. We have gone 47 days between. Like we have gone two weeks with the same coaching staff. And it's not just him. It's it's just what we do now. Uh, all right. Quick break. Back. Wrap it up.
Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. We feel that everything we're doing, we're building for sustainability. No BS, no nonsense, no tweets or shirts or slogans. We're working and putting it together and layering it, and that's been our experience. And all of our rebuilds have been extremely successful. We feel best about this one, um, and we feel best about it for the right reasons, and we feel best about it in terms of sustainability. It's Mario Cristobal. I'm a fan of his, but that's Mario Cristobal. And... Of all our rebuilds, now, I guess he's talking about his head coaching career, and he showed up at FIU, and then four years later, they're in the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. So that was a rebuild. Uh, He took over uh, just a steaming pile, and he brought them to Detroit. So, yes, and then there was a Beefo Brady's Bowl where I think they lost a Marshall team Uh, that was pretty good. Is that Rakeem Cato and that bunch? Shoulder. So... He and then he got fired the next year. Went three and nine. Then he went to Oregon, and I was rebuilding. I guess after Mark Helfrich. So you gotta, you win the Rose Bowl. That's good stuff. And then you leave and you go to Miami. I don't. I'm not going to characterize Oregon as a rebuild. Rebound, sure. Rebuild as it strikes me as strong. But I'm also not here to get legalistic about it. I mean, he's just a coach talking in the off season. Um. He says this one is built for sustainability. Well, you just need to win first. Then talk about winning and doing it again and again. Seven and five, and then you lose the pinstripe bowl. And you get a transfer quarterback from the NFL, because that's where Cam Ward was going. But you get a transfer quarterback who, I'm going to the draft, and then it turns out he's not. It's just a strange situation down there. Miami had had a little bit of success, but decided, oh, Mario's available, so Manny, you're out. Here we go. Five and seven, seven and six. Is there contact? Sure. Is some of it Mario? Yeah. Who he's hired? Certainly. Decisions he's made? Georgia Tech? Mm-hmm. Right? Like a direct, uninterrupted line from Mario Cristobal to the 12-13 and 13 record that Miami has in the two seasons since he got there, I say 12 and 13, man, you got to be better than that, don't you? Well, you think you would. And when the 12 includes Bethune-Cookman, Southern Miss, a game against Georgia Tech that you actually did win, Miami of Ohio, a second game against Bethune-Cookman and Temple. You want to make that 12 and 13 record look even worse? Look at the 12. Mario, I glad when we're not about slogans and t-shirts, good. Because this is about winning and not against Temple and Bethune Cookman. Do you real 25% of your wins are against Bethune Cookman and Temple? Hey, what's the Monday like, brother? So we don't talk obviously normally uh, college basketball in this program, but over the weekend the court storming at Wake Forest that wound up with, we don't know to what extent really, but to an injury to yep. uh, Duke star player Filipowski there. 
has once again prompted the conversation about, all right, what are we going to do about this? Chuck, is it not just bizarre that somehow we we have allowed this culture to exist in this sport for however many decades that, well, once in a while, if we're really in a good mood, we just kind of riot. And it's kind of encouraged. It's kind of allowed. But even if it's not, eh, we just kind of riot for a little bit because, you know, we won. Yay. Um, it's just bizarre that it's kind of ever been a thing, right? I mean, I, I I was at a game. I was at the Ohio State-Michigan game in 2002 when the Buckeyes won. And by winning that game, they secured a place in the national title, which eventually they would win against Miami. Chuck, all the years that I covered Florida, I had never seen anybody storm the field because Florida did not let it happen, period. They put enough security people out there that once in a while some idiot would try it and he would barely make it to the end zone and he'd be hogtied on the field and maybe, just maybe, be looking at the idea that a German shepherd might take a bite out of his calf. But most of the time that wouldn't happen. But if you decided, no, I'm going to do it on my own. Somebody's got to start this field storming and I am just the guy to do it. You would get on the field of Florida and you find out real fast, yeah, that's not going to happen. It can be done, and it has been done there and at other places. And and clearly the financial stuff the SEC has tried has not worked because a lot of schools concluded, yeah, makes our fans happy. Yeah, we lose some money. We can raise more money than we lose by saying all oh, those meanies at the SEC find us a quarter million, kick in $5 to help us pay the fine, and they make money. Uh, this is why it's always been stupid. Guys can get hurt. Not just by people running into him, by people deciding to go Cam Newton like yesterday. Hey, I'm going to get in your face. I'm going to start something. Why? Because now everybody's got a camera. And so every kid running on that field is like, hey, my live stream is going to be the one that goes viral. Me getting in the face of the quarterback and saying something is going to be the thing that gets me mega hits, man. They've got to figure out how to stop this. And, I, you know, look, you can't put Claymore Mines around the field. I get it. But for football, for basketball, this has got to stop. Wasn't that uh, Josh Maxson, that Alabama, Saban's, you know, kind of handler? And he had that thing on the field, I think, with an LSU fan. It was the same sort of thing. I think that was it. Uh, we see it come every single season. You're right about it, Heath. All right. Wraps up on this Monday. Heath, hover, everybody. Appreciate the input. Back tomorrow. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com. 